1: Welcome to the College Football Survivor Show, where playoff
0: survival is always on the line. Here's Shahan J. Haraja and Babak Hayeri. All right. Welcome back, everybody. This is the College Football Survivor Show. I'm your host, Babak Hayeri, and I'm joined by my great co-host, Shahan J. Haraja. National college football writer for CBSSports.com. How are you doing, Jay? Doing I,
1: I don't know if I'm doing as well as you were doing. I saw that you were at the Sphere in Vegas last week, seeing one of my favorite bands, you two. People under 35, stay out of my mentions. I like you too. Just get over it.
0: Yeah, I was actually in the younger set. I'm 44. And I think part of the reason is the tickets are crazy <laughs> expensive for that venue. But uh, and I'm not even a big U2 fan. I just thought if you're going to see a band, see it in a really cool venue, especially as an architecture nut, that, that sphere has had my attention. And it was it, it surpassed them. The exterior is really nuts to see it. I mean, I think a lot of people have seen clips of it on social media, um, and it's neat to see how that giant LED screen works. But on the inside, first of all, it's 16K, what? which I didn't even <laughs> know was possible for, for resolution. But when you walk in, it looks like a giant concrete wall. And it's a believable concrete wall, unless you look at the very, very, very edge that uh, where it comes to actually meet a real wall, then you start to notice, Okay, I can tell there's a slight difference. But just looking at this massive screen, you believe it. Um, The show is great. I think they use the full ability of the screen for about a third of it because a lot of those people are spending a lot of money. To see you know Bono the Edge in company, so they turn a lot of the uh, screen into just sort of like a really big video screen at a stadium for most of the concert, and they do a tremendous job. And that screen is mm. so sharp, it is unreal. But man, when they use that that space that screen, it is to its full potential. What struck me the most. At the end of the con- – towards the end of the uh, performance, they try to show a scene outdoors, and it lights up. The lights are so bright, you feel <laughs> like you're outdoors. I actually turn and look at the crowd, and you realize it's completely like you're an outdoor uh, – you're completely outdoors. And it's um, – that really struck me. I kind of want to see – the thing is, then you start wondering, like, what could you stage in there? College football <laughs> obviously would work. It's too small. You know, a basketball game could work because they have a huge floor. There's a lot of standing room around that stage. Or like pro wrestling would fit perfectly because the stage is basically a squared circle. Um, You know, there's some really interesting stuff you could do there. So if you're in town, I mean, I'm going to probably go back to Vegas with my kids because I like going, to me, it's a a kid's paradise outside of the gambling, obviously. I'm going to take them and maybe go to the video they do on off nights where it's like, instead it's just like Mm. video of what they can do with that screen. So sorry to go off on that. But I mean, you know, it was the reason I was in Vegas last week. And if you're into that stuff, or you're into you too, oh man, can't miss it. That was that was absolutely nuts. I mean, hell, they should put the college football national championship up <laughs> on there with like a special camera, you know, some weird like you know camera ball, right, so that right it feels Carson, like you're in Dex, the game, Hellman, in some maybe kind you just of get weird to way. see his
1: view the whole time. No, uh,
0: <laughs> oh yeah, because oh, so you, you're you're thinking well, Jordan's well, you going to be in well, that? Like, All right, think it's safe
1: bet right now, right? Well, obviously, we'll obviously get to that. I, I will <laughs> say I've never been to Vegas before, actually, so. Uh, Yeah, I know. I know. Well, you're you're from Southern California, right? It's a pretty easy trip for you.
0: Yeah, no, I grew up four hours away. So it was like the cabin (laughs) for my family, you know, off to to Vegas. Because
1: my wife is from the Bay, so from California as well. But like, I I didn't really notice until I married somebody from the West Coast that like being in the middle of the country in Dallas, you just kind of always go east. You know, you just always go more towards the New York, the DC, the Disney World, for example. And like, so it's been really fun to go back that other direction, but still haven't done Vegas. Maybe, you know, I don't know if I if I make Boback money to be able to go and see the sphere and see you too, but uh,
0: no. It would be- <laughs> well, I was about to say, you got to go cover the <laughs> Pac-12 title game or, you know, you know, the uh, next I'm really looking forward to the uh, the Las Vegas kickoff at the beginning of next season, because mm. that's going to be. Well, now there's no <laughs> Alex Grinch. We'll, we can talk about that just lightly in past, but it's going to be USC LSU. So we'll get to see two teams that are known for offense, but not necessarily defense. Of course, we'll probably see a, a slightly different lineup altogether. But um, yeah, no, it's I haven't been to a Legion yet, and I've heard from the folks I have known who've covered games there. That is absolutely a delight, both as a fan, but also you know in the press box. So they've they've done a good job. No, it sounds like an incredible trip. I, I hope I get the chance to go. Going into what's going on this past week, it was an exciting weekend, and I think top to bottom, it's been unanimous that that was a very enjoyable college football slate with some upsets as well as some just great games, even if the 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 favorite team won. So going into this, you know, should we jump right into the chopping block, or did you want to talk about some of these teams that we've and the games they've had, or should we just jump into who do we think maybe has played their way out of our discussion on the island of the Survivor show?
1: Starts with the chopping block but while we do that let's go ahead and start we have three teams that we put on the block two from the big 12 oklahoma and texas and one pretty much from the big 12 missouri and let's start talking about oklahoma first so oklahoma all they have to do to probably make the college football playoff is not mess it up and they go on the road to a rivalry that they have dominated for all of recorded history, and they lose the last one. And Oklahoma State gets to walk off the field playing We Are Never Getting Back Together by Taylor Swift. That was was crazy. I mean, it's an eternal scoreboard, right? Like, they don't have to schedule this game ever again if they don't want to.
0: That would have been really funny if if Gundy declared, you know, that's it. We're, you know, we retire as reigning champions, you know. But yeah, Ollie Gordon, he's an absolute phenomenon for the Cowboys and to the detriment of Oklahoma. To be fair, I think all of us wondered going into this game, given all the stakes, given how storybook it would have been for the Cowboys. And it certainly was. All those fans on the field, you know, uh, just everything they had dreamed it would be as an ending came to pass. And Oklahoma just could not get it done. And they're coming off that stinger of a loss to Kansas the previous week, making them look mortal. So I think, absolutely, I think this, this team, this Oklahoma program, while it almost feels, again, they peaked at the Red River rivalry, and they're just not quite there. And it's interesting, too. I almost, I almost want to compare them to Washington. And Washington for, has felt like they maybe have peaked in the Oregon game, but they've continued to, to eke out wins week after week after week. And that's what you need to be a champion. That's what you need to get yourself into the playoff where Oklahoma, you know, the UCF game was a nail biter. They just get, get away with it. And then they don't get away with it in Kansas. And now Oklahoma state, I feel kind of put the finishing blow on their opportunities. And realistically, I just don't think they, they have a chance to get back into the playoff. And for that reason, I agree. I think we, we, we've got to go ahead and unfortunately kick the Sooners off. Yeah, and island. here's the
1: thing with me, right? Because I, I mentioned this a little last week. Take that Texas game away, just just for the purposes of evaluation. They have not looked like a very good team outside of that one game. A 20-6 to game against Cincinnati, uh, a 28-11 to against SMU. And SMU's gotten a lot better, but they weren't playing very well. It, w- it was only Preston Stone's second start at that time. Uh, obviously, the UCF game. Potentially could have gone to overtime if they convert on a two-point conversion. And now they have two losses in a row. And the amount of firsts that Oklahoma has had under Brent Venables is pretty shocking. Because between 2000 and 2021, outside of the pandemic season, because that's just a little bit of a bad comparison, Oklahoma never lost back-to-back games. Brent Venables has now done it three times. Three individual times, including, by the way, a three-game losing streak last year. So, like this, is, Oklahoma is one of the great programs of all time, but they do not deserve that kind of credibility under Brent Venables. They just don't. And after losing to Kansas last week, after losing to Oklahoma State this week, uh, you, you know, you make the comparison to Washington. The thing is, like Washington had at least good performances against good teams before that. They they haven't played well since that game, but like before that, there was no question. And Oklahoma just doesn't have that credibility. They don't have the schedule. They lost, you know, like we've talked about Michigan with their schedule. Oklahoma doesn't have the non-conference game because their game against Georgia was canceled as they're joining the SEC. So they don't have any pathway. And so uh, I agree, Oklahoma's out. Oklahoma, out of our three contenders, got the highest percent of the votes to be kicked off the list. 69% of people on our list said that they should be the team kicked out. So Oklahoma, you're gone. Let's move to Missouri real quick.
0: Well, I just want to give some credit to the people out there listening who vote on Twitter. We hear your voice, and that was a nice vote. Thank you very much. But yeah, let's Let's, go on. Let's go on to- Let's uh, touch on
1: Missouri. So I will say, obviously, you know, for me, losing a second game, uh, losing track of the SEC East title race, that probably is just it for them. But I do want to say Missouri proved that they- are for real. This is not a fluke. They are legitimately a 7-2 quality team. Uh, again, they had that weird loss against LSU, and if they had managed to survive that game, then maybe they're still in our conversation. But they played Georgia as well as anybody has over the last little while, certainly the best of any team this year. You know, you actually look at their uh, their success rates. Uh, Parker Fleming on Twitter has a great graphic that he puts out where he shows basically comparison success rate. and Missouri actually had a better success rate, which is like the amount of their plays that either went like four yards in a rush or there's sort of a mathematical formula to figure out whether a play is successful. And Missouri's success rate was actually higher than Georgia's. Georgia just managed to make some big plays in some big moments. They kicked two field goals down the stretch. They had a huge interception from Nasir Stackhouse, a defensive tackle that managed to put it away. But Missouri absolutely proved that they belonged, but unfortunately, with two losses, I, I think they're out of the mix.
0: Yeah, I mean, I, and I completely agree with you. And Mizzou, I've I've advocated for you guys pretty hard, and uh, I think they their performance was solid. I think in the end, I mean, they went in the halftime tied. In the end, Georgia's talent was able to keep them going. But it was interesting too. I wonder if the the Tigers ended up giving. Future opponents, especially Alabama, some of the keys to Georgia's weaknesses because certainly Georgia had some weakness in the middle. It appeared, and they don't control the line of scrimmage quite as dominantly as they had before, which led to field goals for Georgia rather than than you know touchdowns. So, ah, uh, I'm wondering if that's Mizzou's legacy here. They showed the weakness in the armor because we, I think, outside of the extreme, most extreme Georgia fans, who so I think are actually sometimes the most critical. Um, this Georgia team certainly doesn't seem as strong as the past two. So while this streak is amazing and the, the field is still weak enough out there that it could very well be that we're going to watch them, you know, just win out the rest of the season. But I think Mizzou may have been one of the best opportunities for opposing coordinators to see where the weak spots are in Georgia. And and if you are ever going to unseat the reigning two-time champs. That would, you know, using the lessons from what Mizzou played would be that. But credit to Georgia, they just they get it done, and and we'll probably talk a little bit more down the stretch about Carson Beck. But I'm, I'm, you know, he's coming into his own, and I think that's really an important part of what's giving Georgia that that push forward. But yeah, no, I think for now though, Mizzou, as much as you know, as much as I wanted to see you make it as this dark horse. There's no path for you. And I think the Tigers, unfortunately, were voting you off the island. What did the what did by the way, what did? Yes. Yeah, so on my
1: on, they were second on our list. 18 percent of them out of the our three options voted them as the one who most needed to be kicked off. I, so Texas at third. I think Texas for me, I'm just going to say quickly, obviously a very close game that went to overtime against Kansas State. They still survived. They still have the wins that they have. They still have the opportunity to potentially beat a top 15-ish Oklahoma State team in the Big 12 title game. I think that they still deserve to be in. Uh, The voters, again, had them third on our list. And so I think that that's enough on its own to keep them in the mix. I do want to say quickly on on Missouri, Mm -hmm. I I do want to ask you a question. So Georgia, clearly still right now, deserves to be considered the best team in the SEC. I think that after last week, Alabama deserves to be convincingly second. Would you agree with me if I said that Missouri is the third best team in the SEC right now?
0: I think they make a strong case for it. I do. I don't think LSU would be it. I think the only question is, of course, Ole Miss. And Ole Miss only has one loss to Alabama. I think there's an argument to be made. I would love to see them That play would be a other. good one. That would be a good one. <laughs> That would be a good I'm one I'm glad that you mentioned yeah. that
1: team, but I'm, I'm glad you mentioned it. that team Ole Miss. We're yeah. going to the list of teams now that we have an opportunity to vote onto the island.
0: Yeah. And just just to kind of catch folks up. So with the, the two we voted off, we are now currently going with Georgia, Michigan, Ohio State, Florida State, Washington, you're undefeated, along with Oregon, Alabama and keeping Texas. So now we're, let's talk about some potential teams to add. And yeah, let's start with Ole Miss. Well, what do you think? How did you because I mean that Texas State, I don't know if they're just it's like a a curse <laughs> between the teams, but they played really close. I mean, last year was wild. This year, again, a really close one. What were your well, thoughts? Ole we'll Miss, I think that after watching that game,
1: I I said in our our Slack group for CBS Sports, I think that Ole Miss might be college football's Mendoza line, where If you beat them, then you're probably good. And if you lose to them, you're probably not that good. And I feel pretty good about it right now, right? You have that line where LSU, of course, loses to them. I don't think that they're that great. Texas A&M is so close to that line, but is on the wrong side of it. Alabama easily put them away. They're going to play Georgia this week, which is going to be a huge game. And we'll obviously see which side Georgia sits on. But I mean, again, I I brought it up before heading into this year. Ole Miss, uh, sorry, Lane Kiffin was 1-19 in 19 against Power 5 teams that would finish with at least 9 wins. And I think we might be pretty close to keeping that as well. And the question for me, because here's the reality, it's, whatever, week 11 that we're heading into, and Ole Miss is an 8-1 and one team. They're playing Georgia this week, so the pathway for them is upsetting Georgia, Alabama making the playoff after beating Georgia, and then getting in as a second team. I don't think that that's ridiculous. Like, like, I mean, obviously the idea of Ole Miss beating Georgia is tough. That's the hard part. But I don't think it's a ridiculous assertion to say that Ole Miss could end up 11-1 and, and have a really good case again. And especially if their only loss is to an Alabama team that might be in the playoff.
0: Yeah, I think Ole Miss certainly needs help, as you pointed out. My only concern is, again, looking last year, I think so, Ole Miss fans remember they started 8-1 and one last season. And finished eight and five. So, you know, at this point, we'll see how things, how the cookie crumbles. I think this Georgia game, uh, the Bulldogs are gonna be the favored program. I mean, I know all the hype's gonna be there. Um if i you know, if I were to pick, I would go with Georgia, and I would go with Georgia, probably turning into beast mode just like they have this season anytime they've faced a ranked contender. My concern would be how badly this Ole Miss go. You know, if they get, if they lose, if they lose, um, how badly they look afterwards. And do we see them kind of fall apart in the end of the season? Now, all that said, they look different this year. They certainly can finish games. That's a striking thing. I mean, they've had comebacks in, I believe, four or five of their games this season, um, including including against Texas A&M. So this feels like a different team overall. But it is funny. I love I love that idea of the Mendoza line. Are they are they really that? Is that their is that their lot right now in life? Are they still the team you test to see? Can you play up to that? Now I'm wondering if Penn State is the Big <laughs> Ten version of that. But, you know, are they You know, are is that is that their lot in life? And I'm not I'm not entirely sure. But um, yeah. It's so funny too because after Georgia, they sh- they should win out, right? You know, what I mean, they've got ULM and then they've got Mississippi State. Those are very winnable games, especially Mississippi Don't State. Don't
1: man. Don't but, do it.
0: Yeah. Oh my gosh. But this, I'm really curious to see how they do at Georgia because I mean, part of the problem is too. This is going to be you know people are going to want to compare with Alabama. Like, how does this, how does Georgia look against Ole Miss like Alabama did against Ole Miss and that's going to be a big one, too. Win or lose. I mean, obviously, if Ole Miss wins, suddenly everyone's going to be like, see, we knew Georgia wasn't the same Georgia, blah, 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 blah. But if, if Ole Miss is close and makes it close, then I think that's going to raise eyebrows in and of its own right. And, of course, then if if Georgia simply rolls, <laughs> who knows? I mean, I'm I'm fascinated by Ole Miss right now. I mean, it has been interesting. Again, I know I've mentioned it in previous weeks, but Quinshawn Judkins has, has kind of come back to kind of hitting a level of where he was before you know, he had three touchdowns, you know, ran for over 100 yards. He's looking good. And I think that defense, again, did well. I mean, they were able to pick off Max Johnson in the end zone. That was a really big play in such a tight game. And, I, you know, they blocked a field goal. So there's so much going on there that's, I think, different about this Ole Miss team that might, I think, certainly earns consideration because they could, they could be included in the college football playoff conversation. But also just overall, it's, uh, it seems to be a better team than in the past.
1: So where do you stand? Do you think that Ole Miss should be voted into our college football playoff contenders?
0: Yes, I'm willing to say so, only because they, they do have a plausible chance to get in. Our voters were not as nice.
1: 60% voted no on Ole Miss, making it into the field. Look, I I am very split on this one. It's a three-point win over Texas A&M at home, a seven-point win against Auburn on the road, a seven-point win against Arkansas at home, a six-point win over LSU that they really maybe should have lost, a two-lane game that was really, really close, and I'm very high on two-lane. That's not an issue, but it's a close game. Their only real convincing win this year is against Vanderbilt. And I mean, honestly, maybe that Georgia Tech game is like their second most convincing game that they've played this year. But here's the reality, too. Georgia Tech is looking better. Georgia Tech is looking yeah, better yeah, too. They they they're this on a two-game game win. The streak. they weren't looking all that good. That's the issue. That's the issue.
0: Yeah.
1: <laughs> I'm going to vote yes. But, again, they have as tough a pathway as anyone right now in college football. Because they have to go on the road and beat Georgia. And then they have to hope that... Well, I mean, I, I guess the reality is, right, no matter who wins between Alabama and Georgia, they're probably going to be next in line at 11 and one. But it's it's a tough path, man. It's a tough path to go on the road and beat the dogs. Nobody's done it in, since 2020. So I'm going to say yes, but uh, this might be a one week respite inside our college football playoff.
0: Room. Yeah, I, I think this this, this could be. be a one and done. This could be a one and done for, for the, the Rebels. So bask in it. Enjoy your time on the island.
1: <laughs> can never take it for granted. ok, we're going to move on another big game this week, Penn State playing against Michigan. So Penn State. obviously, their highs have been great. I, I mean, again, like you said, they' <laughs> the big Tens Mendos aligned potentially. These are some uh, kind of similar programs right now, but they got pretty outclassed by Ohio State. Obviously, they haven't played well against Michigan the past couple of years again the pathway is simple they have to beat michigan and that's it they just have to beat the team that's played better than anybody else in the country this year and the other part that you have to weigh with that is is this a team that seriously has any possibility of doing that with what they've done so far this year i i do like what they've done since that ohio state game they finally let drew aller air things out just a little bit and it turned out it was pretty helpful Ah, uh, you look last week. I mean, look—the reality is that Maryland is collapsing. But to beat them on the road, fifty-one to fifteen, the way that they did—that's not nothing. It, it definitely isn't nothing. Um, and the other thing too is—you know—certainly we'll get into a Michigan conversation. And actually, our uh, our next episode is probably going to have a lot of Michigan when uh, whenever we get a chance to talk about it. But we don't really know what Michigan is at this point because they haven't played anybody. And so. Mm-hmm. I think for those reasons, I'm going to vote yes. I'm going to put Penn State back on our list. It might be another one and done along with Ole Miss, but I do think that they deserve to be there heading into this week.
0: Yeah, I think my thoughts on Penn State tend to go with the fact that, yes, they they had a scare with Indiana last week, uh, or I should say uh, the weekend before this past week. And that was a letdown game after you know that, that loss. That was a potential letdown game after that loss to Ohio State. They survived. And then, in a more, what you would kind of want to see in a team that might make a comeback and, and you know, bounce back, they absolutely throttled Maryland. This isn't September Maryland, granted, where we've got the past-its-due date Maryland, the expired Maryland that you start to see late in the season. Part of it, you know, is it are we seeing Penn State get their groove back? Are we seeing the deep ball? You know, we are seeing them chuck it deep a little bit. We're seeing Drew Aller get a chance to, to do more and feel more confidence after that shaky, shaky game against the Buckeyes um, or, but how much of it is just the fact that James Franklin really, really seems to dislike Maryland <laughs> with a passion. I mean, he just seems like every, uh, just uh, my favorite, my favorite comment I saw on, uh, on our CFP after that game was now pe- James Franklin can begin prepping for next year's Maryland <laughs> game. You know, <laughs> it's like, it's like, that's his goal is just to go in and smash Maryland. So he did. Um, maybe, but I think really though, going back to what you said, and that's, that's to me, their biggest opportunity in this is we still haven't seen Michigan play really a, a serious opponent. This is going to be their, their chance. And it could be, we find out Michigan just doesn't have it. And suddenly Penn state's back in the conversation. Um, they'll still need help just like Ole Miss. They could get in the playoff, but they would need to, they would probably need some other things to happen out there that they're not in control of. But I think for the purpose, especially of this week, because if they can beat Michigan, they would be in the conversation again. I would also include them.
1: All right. The well, update. our voters disagreed. Fifty-six and a half percent voting against. But uh, sorry, you got outvoted. Sorry, people. who guess you got to show up at the polls. By the way, uh, Election Day today, if you're listening to this episode the day that it drops. So, you know, if, if, if you didn't have a chance, go and uh, go out there. You might not have anything to vote for in your, your area.
0: Absolutely. Participate. Participate absolutely. in democracy, I, people. <laughs> it's important. It's why what makes absolutely. our country great. So that leaves one more team here. What's what's who's next? On do we put them on the island? So
1: there's another one loss team in the Power Five, and this is a team that is also eight and one. This is a team though that ranks only number twelve in ESPN strength of record rating. That uh, has the eighty first rated strength of schedule to this point. They have a really bad loss against Pitt on the road, but they have some good wins also, Notre Dame and Duke among them. So does Louisville deserve to be on our list of college football playoff contenders?
0: I am 100% for them, and I was last week. So, you know me, this this to me is just proving my point. No, I mean, because first of all, let's go to that Pitt loss. And I know I've said this before, but one of Louisville's best weapons Is Jawar Jordan, their running back. And he only had two carries against Pitt before he got injured. Now, actually, and what was interesting is this week, we actually saw Jawar was limited, and Isaac Guerrero was able to step up and have a career day with 146 yards and three touchdowns. And what makes Louisville so impressive to me is that defense. They kept Virginia Tech to 140 yards. That's their lowest defensive uh, uh, total this year. And it's a fifth straight game where the Cardinals have held an opponent under 300. So that defense and a functional offense, I mean, it's kind of like the reverse. They have a strong defense, and the offense just gets enough done. I mean, Jack Plummer, he's been at a few schools. This is his third school. I mean, for those of you who remember him at (laughs) Purdue and, and Cal, you know, he's not, the, he's not the stud quarterback. He's not the one that that is winning it for them. They have some great running backs they have. And then here's the other thing. Pardon me, you know, Jamari Thrash was out against Virginia Tech. That's their superstar wide receiver. And still, they managed to, to just absolutely destroy the Hokies, who were resurgent. Like, I remember, this isn't the Hokies you saw earlier this season where everyone just thought, okay, well, the Virginia Tech, we can just go ahead and the entire state of Virginia outside of James Madison is just a complete disaster. No, they were coming back, and Louisville brought them back to the ground, because I think the Cardinals have an absolute opportunity. I mean, again, for those who may have missed last week, they kept Duke they held Duke to zero points. They absolutely shut him down. They held him to two hundred and two yards. Uh, Virginia Tech just managed to kick a field goal. This is an absolutely legit defense. Um, I'm not the, <laughs> by the way, my favorite moment for Louisville this season was probably represented not this week, but the week before where one of the AP voters straight up had to apologize and said he forgot to put Louisville in his poll. Um that that they are really truly the forgotten team. <laughs> they are the they are the team that no one is paying attention to. And I think for me they are the dark horse because if they can win out, granted like the other two teams we just mentioned they need a little bit of outside help. But if they can win out, they're going to, you know, they've got UVA on a Thursday game, so that'll be nice more folks can see them this uh this season. I think more people are going to watch that game because Louisville has sort of been hovering here on the edges, they play at Miami, and Miami is who boy that quarterback. He is he's absolutely entertaining, but not necessarily in a positive way for the Canes. You know, Kentucky—that's a rivalry game. Who knows? But then the opportunity to go against Florida State in that finale. Florida State has locked their spot in the ACC championship game. I think if they can go through that with a little bit of help, suddenly Louisville is your dark horse this season. I mean, especially of the candidates we've just discussed. They would be the biggest surprise, mostly because of how low they' ranked. and i am I'm a little surprised by the AP ranking for them. I mean, I know you went over some of the stats, but I mean, to me, that inexp the pit loss isn't totally inexplicable to me when you lose someone and you know you have that shaky game that sometimes happens. But I think Louisville really deserves it and they they deserve consideration. Number 13 in the first college football
1: playoff rankings, the lowest by far of the, uh, the one-loss power five teams behind Missouri, behind Penn State, behind Ole Miss. I'll, I will be curious to see if they do jump up a little higher. If they're close to 10, I, I think they have to be in the top 10 this week to feel like they really have a chance because they have so much ground to make up. And I think the biggest problem that I have with Louisville is just the schedule. Right, I mean they they will have a ranked win over Notre Dame, but that's atrophying at this point.
0: Uh, Yeah, yeah, Uh, yeah. NC
1: State does look like a an improved team. I I do think that win is aging a little better. But the Duke uh, the Duke win rather again just without Riley Leonard in the lineup. I think that that's not aging super well. Miami not playing very well. Kentucky unranked at this point. So the question is like, I I think it is absolutely on the table for them to go twelve and one. And potentially to win the ACC and beat Florida State. I think that that's absolutely possible. But would that even be enough? I, I think that that's the big question heading into this matchup or heading into the home stretch. I'm going to say no, but the voters showed up. 65% said yes to Louisville making the list. And guess what? Louisville, you made it. You're in.
0: And, you know, I just, again, you listeners out there, you made that difference on getting Louisville into here. I joke that some of the pollsters must still think they're some of the older pollsters must still think Louisville's in Conference USA or something. <laughs> you know, Big East legends. Like, oh, man. Yeah, Big East team yeah. now is coming here. <laughs> 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 you know, but no, I, uh, I I also see for me it's funny because again I'm on the older side compared to the two of us, and I remember watching Louisville when they were a Conference USA team and when they upset Florida State on a Thursday night. That is probably my favorite Thursday night memory I've ever seen. Because I wasn't even, like, I was was at a sports bar in in law school, and I remember just, like, seeing on the TV, I'm like, is this game really (laughs) happening? Like, it totally distracted the group I was with because as a college football nut, my eyes were on the bar TV because this this game was just unfolding in unexpected ways. So now those conference mates may face each other, and here we are all these years later, and it looks like they may be the ones that play each other in the ACC title game. All right, so it looks like we've put three new teams on here. So looking at the rankings we have right now, um, not necessarily in the order we're ranking them, but our current list is Michigan, Georgia, Ohio State, Florida State, Washington, Oregon, Alabama, Texas, Ole Miss, Louisville, and Penn State. So there we are. Those are our members on the island. I think that's our longest list we've had yet this season which is impressive. Who knows? The island grew. I think these, quite realistically, at this stage of the season, are the teams that have any shot at making it into the playoff. It would take insane levels of chaos to see another team work their way on there. And for your sake, Arizona Wildcats, <laughs> you know. But uh, <laughs> and,
1: and also, it would take a, it, it would take an act of the NCAA to finally get my James Madison Dukes under consideration. Doesn't look like it's going to happen.
0: Yeah, no, and they, they, they suffered a big loss on the, uh, on the player personnel side because one of their star defensive players is out for the season. So I feel bad for the Dukes there, but I think they, they will have a chance to at least, hey, if they can get an unbeaten regular season, UCF said that you can absolutely get that. You know, just go straight up Ivy League. The Ivy League doesn't plan anything. They can have like a three-way tie for first place. Like just consider yourself, declare yourselves Ivy League champs. What's the <laughs> Ivy League going to do? Say No you know I'd love to see that James Madison do the Dukes declare yourselves the champions whatever you want after you, <laughs> if, you, if you complete if you complete an undefeated regular season so that's who's on the island right now I'm really looking forward to seeing how things turn out this weekend because a couple of these teams are going to make or break their futures in a couple of days so exciting exciting times there so next let's have a quick conversation about the QBs in these teams that we just brought up next on the college football survivor show To your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, price priceline. So looking at the quarterbacks right now, because that's always a good discussion to have: who is behind the ball? Who is the person leading these offenses? Because so much of championship caliber play comes from that position. We thought we'd take a second and look at the teams in contention and the folks who are behind the ball. Shehan, what are your thoughts right now as we look at this lineup of teams? And just as a quick reminder for those out there, it's going to be Michigan, Georgia, Ohio State, Florida State, Washington, Oregon, Alabama, Texas, Ole Miss, Louisville, and Penn State.
1: It's an interesting grouping, right? Because you've got legitimate Heisman contenders at the top of this list. Uh, I mean, we'll obviously get to one that's at the very top of my list, who I think uh, has a really good shot to win the thing. But there's really a line and I'm curious where whenever we get to your list, where you put that line, because I, I do think that and maybe a couple of lines. I think that there's almost a couple of tiers of quarterbacks in here. There's a tier of, Oh my gosh, this T this player is so good. They could go to any team and transform them. There's a list of this player is playing really well and is an asset to this team. And this there's a list right now of quarterbacks who are maybe doing enough. And that's all you can say about them right now. So I'll I'll be really curious to see how you have Mm -hmm. them ranked. I think that the top is easier than
0: the bottom. I agree. I 100% agree. When I was trying to rank some of these quarterbacks, I exactly came up with those three tiers. I'm like, okay, these are the guys who I think have a shot at the Heisman, legitimate shots at the Heisman. Then there are those who I think are, are great, but good, but not great. Good, but not elite, or however you want to phrase it. And then the ones where I'm like, hey, you know, it could be worse, and they're doing just enough. They're doing their best, and that's all we need from them. So, gosh, should Let's we start, start from, from the top, top on this these? time?
1: Because I think that we'll have a pretty
0: good consensus name on top. For me, and it's interesting too. I actually went through a couple of versions of this. My number one is actually oh, Bo Nix. Oh no, Knicks. no! Right no now, don't, buy mo- don't buy into the hype. Don't buy into the Bo Nix hype. What are you doing? <laughs> <laughs> Really, you don't think so? I think he's been consistent. I mean, he's he's loose. He's having fun. <laughs> <laughs> and now he's a, he looks, this time he actually looks like more than a dark horse Heisman <laughs> candidate. But I don't know. I just ever since and and part of me it's I just look at how they've done since that Washington game for both him and Penix. I I just look at how they've done since, and I'm I'm now feeling a little bit more about Bo Nix because that's part. I think he's a key part along with that great defense of why Oregon looks scary. And, and I know we've talked about whether or not even Oregon should be put ahead of Washington at this point, but I, I think Bo Nix is a key part of that. And that's, he's the one I'm, I'm kind of leaning on right now, but I gotta hear, I gotta hear. Who is yours? Mine
1: is, was, and will remain Michael Penix Jr. from Washington. So I, I totally understand the thought process, right? I totally understand, uh, considering Bo Nix for your top group and Bo Nix playing incredible football right now. There's, this is not a slight to Bo Nix. He's absolutely in the top group. There's no question about it. What separates Michael Penix for me is just how much they rely on him. Because like you said, Bo Nix is a huge part of what Oregon does among other things. Michael Penix jr. Is a playoff team with what he in that passing game does. It's the only thing that they do that is a truly national championship, a college football, playoff PAC 12 champion level team. And they right now are in a position to finish the year undefeated and go to the college football playoff and potentially win that thing. And, so I I just look at the amount of like, I I don't want to call it help because I don't want that to sound like a negative and Michael Penix Jr. has incredible receivers. But if Bonix doesn't have things going, he can lean on the run game. He can lean on the defense. He can lean on the short passing game. If Michael Penix Jr. doesn't have it going, they play a 15 to seven game against Arizona State. Like that's just the reality. And Michael Penix hasn't been his best self over the past couple of weeks. I'd be curious. I I don't want to speak too much on, Speculation. I'd be curious if he's dealing with something nagging. Uh it just feels like he hasn't been a hundred percent himself, but he's still been really good over the last few weeks. And I think that, you know, the one thing I am encouraged about is I do think that uh some of Washington's other units have started to step up to to help a little bit. But this is a Michael Penix Jr. team. It starts and ends with him. If he is not the best player in the country, then Washington isn't going to make the college football playoff. And so for me, he was number one on my list.
0: I, I see that argument, and it, it's the classic kind of Caleb Williams argument, especially from last season, and uh, and Jaden Daniels for LSU. Like, where would they have even been without him? Um, but at the same time, that I, and, and it's interesting, I, your interpretation of the Arizona State game was interesting. Mine is, boy, he had an off game there, and the whole team nearly fell apart. And I think that... <sighs> I think the the fact that there hasn't been a game like that for Bo Nix, that's that consistency. Maybe it's 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 almost analogous to why I'm having a lot of trouble moving my Michigan from the number one spot in my own mind. They've just been that consistency. They're doing what you ask of them, and they're doing it well, and they just keep going and pounding it. And that way, Bo Nix, as a quarterback, has been doing what's been asked of him. And you're right. Maybe part of that reason is he's got a fuller a fuller compliment. And and again, with that Washington team, it's sort of funny because. That sudden surge of offense was it because the running backs, the running game finally found itself, or was it because it was going against an (laughs) Alex Grinch defense? You know, the world will never know, and and especially now that that uh, Grinch is out. But I I don't know. I it's going to be very interesting to watch. Actually, quite quite frankly, this weekend with Bo Nix playing USC himself, so it'll be a fun comparison. To see how they do. Of course, my joke is: Watch Alex Grinches out, and suddenly USC shuts out the next two opponents, which would just be hilarious. But um, not not for our purposes. <laughs> but just I, I'm an agent of chaos, and I, I vote for chaos in general. But I think, oh, man, I I'm I'm just I feel a little bit more right now, a little less confident in Penix, only because of of how they've looked since that game. But I believe I also. <laughs> You know, just because you have a, a quarterback talent like that doesn't – oh, gosh. Oh, you're <laughs> killing me on this one. This, I love it. I love it. I love so, that I've been shook. Let, I have well, let been me shook ask. by Shehan and his logic. Well, that, that's ask, what
1: happens. Ask. Where do you have Washington and Michael Penix Jr. on your list? He's number two. He's okay. number two. Okay.
0: That's the thing. <laughs> it's such a cold. Like, we were talking about tears. He's my number two, and I think that was it. That was the, big, <laughs> this, uh, the the big question for me is, who do I put ahead? And I think it was the consistency of gameplay. Coming from because that's the thing. I mean, if Bo Nix had a bad day, it would be interesting to see how they, Oregon. would They do. just run the ball and play um, good defense, and be they'd be shaky? fine. That's what would happen. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and uh, and it's interesting too. But I think they're an easy yep. one-two punch. I think that is arguably. I mean, well, where do you have Bo Nix? Let me yeah, ask that.
1: I have him number three. I have one other player ahead of him at number okay. two. I I view Penix to just personally as my clear number one. Uh, and I think that two and three were kind of in a tier, and then I think four and five are kind of also. So it would, which we'll get to, of course. But my number two was mm-hmm. Jordan Travis at Florida State, and you know the the one thing that I'll say that maybe kind of is a strike against what, uh, me having Travis at number two is they've been really dependent on two receivers who are awesome: Johnny Wilson, and Keon Coleman, and without yeah. them in the lineup it wasn't awesome so so maybe i do need to give uh you know bo Nix a little bit more credit because you know i mean he, troy franklin's a really good player but they don't have uh, i mean i i don't want to undersell but they don't have an elite elite receiver core i'd say outside of troy franklin but he's still been uh, remarkably consistent you know for for jordan travis it was 360 yards but it didn't look great all the time against Pittsburgh last week. I, I still think that he again, i this this probably gets to something philosophical, right? Which is what do you value more? The guy who has a high burden or the guy who uh, is consistent? right? And you know, and and I think that there's sort of good arguments each way for that. I, I think you know for me, having the high is just, huge right i mean you see against lsu jordan travis has 342 and four touchdowns Uh, you know the lsu defense hasn't looked as good as it should but uh you know against clemson a team that is struggling offensively but has a really good defense 289 two touchdowns like he has played his best ball in his biggest games he's been remarkably consistent all season long and uh, and he's made big plays when he's needed to as well so for me i leaned travis but I I mean, I I think you might be right having Bo Nix in that top group over Travis. Did you have Travis at number three?
0: I had him as number four because I went in a different direction on number three. And I think this is recentism. But I thought for the very same reasons, Travis is a part of the conversation and he's in my top in my mind, as I was kind of creating this, my top five are people who I could sure. see invited to New York. That's that's kind of how I place them all. And maybe sure. even my top six. So, but, but let's step back there for a second. I I was so impressed by Jalen Milrow that I actually moved him all the way up to number three. I don't wow. think he's ever going to – I don't think he's going to win it. I don't think he's going to win the Heisman. But I think he played his way into his own only because – and because it seems like – and it's such a crazy season for him – to see that, to see where he didn't even play, you know, <laughs> against USF where Alabama was figuring itself out and, and Nick Saban was doing his dark magic to come up with a way to coach the team into uh, another national championship contender again. But watching him play against LSU was almost like they changed the game plan a little bit. It's almost like they said, okay, let's, let's allow Milroe to play to his strengths. If he sees open field, let him run for it. And I think the, that ability to not only have designed runs but allowing to take pass plays and run on them showed a talent and uh, and you know a quarterback that will make Alabama that that is gonna that is gonna confirm that Alabama really is going to be one of those two teams. It's gonna be Alabama and Georgia for the SEC title with the winner absolutely punching their ticket into the playoff and potentially, you know, <laughs> we could have and you know two SEC teams. It's not on. Un- I mean. The crazy thing about this season is we could theoretically have two Big Ten teams and two SEC teams in the playoff, which would be the ultimate dark – you know, uh, do like, don't, don't even put that into the universe, man. Why would you do that? Don't even put that into the universe. Well, because it would make the 12-team playoff next year seem all the more awesome. It, I See, I'm a massive <laughs> – playoff expansion the advocate so that will make people really look forward to next <laughs> season like we're not gonna have that happen again there's no way it'll happen again no, we're I'm gonna have all even, these teams that are allowed in that so the universe I,
1: absolutely not
0: <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh yes oh, i no, i could no, see no, it no. i am no. the, i i am kind of i have a, a very sick sense of humor so laughing. the idea of watching michigan ohio state georgia and Alabama. i mean how would i love it because then we get to see this really awkward like are how's the playoff committee going to legitimize how they pair those four? I mean, because that would be my favorite part, is how they would even (laughs) stack them up. But okay, all right. Setting aside the evil that I just cast into the universe. Um, (laughs) I think, again, Milrow impressed me enough that I put him at number three. Now, that could, again, in my mind, it's still, you know, it's still a, a, a changing situation. They could move down. But after that game, the way he played against... Granted, it's LSU's defense, so I feel like it's the same reason we're saying, like, yeah, Washington suddenly had a running game, but, you know, we'll put an asterisk by that. Um, I, it's just, I think I, I was impressed by him enough with that and, and that talent to see that he could be that elite quarterback who leads them, especially in this latter half of the season, on a march to the championship.
1: So I had him at number six, and I, I'm really excited. I think that everything that you said is correct. The issue that i have especially when i compare him to the guys who i have in my top five is that the lsu game was him revealing something that he hasn't been all year and i think that it's fair to ask him to do it first you know to, to have that sustained success i agree the player who played against lsu was worthy of the Heisman, honestly. He was unbelievable. He he was c- a complete player, obviously missed on some passes, and he's still trying to figure out that part of his game, but uh, just a total athlete. I mean, 219 through the air, 155 and four touchdowns on the ground, but it doesn't erase him having a mediocre day versus Arkansas. It doesn't erase him having a mediocre day versus Texas A&M. And um, throwing two interceptions against Texas in, in the lone loss of the year. And so... When I look at Jalen Milrow, I see somebody who, by the end of the year, if we're, if this was a pure power ranking of like who's playing the best right now, which you know could be closer to how you're viewing it, then I get that a little more. I, I think that for me though, when you look at what he's done, when you look about trying to project it forward, it's just a little too soon for me to to confidently put him in that top three. Uh, especially again, I my top three are Michael Penix, Jordan Travis, Bo Nix. And let's move to my number four. My number four is a player who I think has been pretty underrated this year because of obviously the team that he took over. And that's Carson Beckett, Georgia. This has become a passing team. This is a team that they're very good defensively, of course. that's not in question. but they're a team that relies on the passing game. They're, they're an okay running team. They they block at a high level. They obviously protect really well, but Brock Bowers, been out of the lineup. They have not missed a beat offensively. 43 points versus Florida last week, 30 versus Missouri this week, 51 versus Kentucky a few weeks ago, and the fact that they've been able to keep things rolling on the back of the passing game is just unbelievably impressive to me at this point. I think that he's been consistent. I think he's been poised. You know, when I when I look at this Georgia team and, and longtime listeners of the, of the show will remember, you know, I, I made the case last year that Georgia was an offensive team with a good defense under Stetson Bennett with a, with a pretty young defense last year. You know, they they really were able to win games and a big part of their national championship is what they did on offense. And there have been moments where it's been slow. The South Carolina game, of course, comes to mind. But it's been Carson Beck who's gotten them out of those moments and out of those situations. He's completing 72% of his passes. You know, it, it's just, it's been consistent. It's been great. I, I think that he's been everything that they've needed for him to be. And when I look at them again, the way that they pulled away from uh, Missouri this past weekend, obviously, uh, is a big part of this. The, the way that they dominated Florida was a big part of this. I think that he has been one of the most consistent players in the country this year.
0: Well, I, first of all, I will say I've, I've been impressed with how he's grown over the season, and he does well when needed. I'm, I, I'm finding, and I agree, it's been interesting to see how the Bulldogs have been able to, to keep up, even after losing Bowers. I think that was a huge, at the time, it seemed like a huge loss, particularly because of some of those shaky games they were having. But suddenly, you know, it seems like they've just reloaded. And I think that is a bit of where I'm falling myself into. Um, into being a little more hesitant to put him as high up on the list, I actually put him all the way down at number eight because I thought a lot of what we're seeing from Georgia is just the sheer talent level, the plug and play. Like they bring in such talent that these receivers and you know the the, the tight ends are are able to to just step up and be there where they're needed. And someone who is more than competent, like I, he isn't. I wouldn't say he is just. Functional. I think he's, I, I was worried that's where he was earlier in the season. I'm like, okay, you just need to keep this machine moving. Just kind of don't mess up, minimize mistakes you know, and just be a decent quarterback. I think he's gone a little bit beyond that. I feel he's gone out of that tier in my head and he's kind of in that middle tier of quarterbacks who are doing good, but they're not quite at that, that great level. So I think what what I agree with what you're seeing but for me the the success that Georgia is seeing is coming from just the sheer recruiting ability of Georgia and that's something that you know Kirby Smart's absolutely built based off of what he saw when he was under Saban. So I think I I'm crediting more the talent around him than his own talent but I'm not saying he is he's not a good quarterback. I think we're seeing somebody develop over this season and yeah, that's interesting. I, I And it's striking, too, because we really went different on that. I, I saw him as a number eight. You you were much uh, higher on him. That, the that's thing interesting.
1: I'll say hmm. is that Georgia is number 48 in rushing offense, and they are number six in passing offense. And yes, they're doing it with good players, but the receiver is not their best talent group, right? I mean, Dominic Lovett, they had to get a transfer in from Missouri. He's played really well. Lad McConkie missed a bunch of games mm-hmm. at the beginning of the year. You know, he he's kind of been asked to, to carry this unit at times. Like they are not super elite at that position. The place where they're super elite is in the trenches, of course, on defense, uh, and honestly at running back, but they haven't been an awesome running team. They've been a good enough running team that I think has leaned on their passing game to make things happen. So, uh, I personally think he deserves a little more respect than that, but let's go ahead and move on. Who is your so so right now? You have Bo Nix, Michael Penix, Jalen Melrose, Jordan Travis as your top four. Who's your number five?
0: Okay, JJ McCarthy. That's exactly where I, I have him. By the way, he has been. Yeah, yeah. He it's funny because that's sort of where he exists this college football season. Dang, Michigan's continually doing fine, and he's doing good as a quarterback. And you you feel like all right as a whole, you have to give the quarterback some strong credit the success of the offense and they keep putting up a good amount of points in the defense other than that late quarter uh, touchdown by Purdue is is keeping defenses below 10 and I think that's it I think we're going to get a better view of him hopefully this coming week with Penn State that defense to see how they they square up against each other that we're waiting for McCarthy to have a game where he can really demonstrate that he is not only a part of a, a, a large team that is just A talented program doing well but that he can also be that talented person who can can step up so i think that's going to be interesting both that and the ohio state game are going to be real opportunities to see him set himself apart and potentially push himself into the into the finalist group for that position but what are your thoughts so
1: to me i view in a funny way carson beck and jj mccarthy's cases as being very similar and the thing that uh, gives me a slight edge is that Georgia's played pretty significantly tougher competition. Not not awesome competition either, but just a different level. And so in a funny way too, I'd make the comparison also to Michigan's running game. Michigan's running game was supposed to be the thing that carried this team and they kind of haven't been very good this year. They're, t- they're number 50 in the country. Uh, Donovan Edwards only averaging 3.1 yards per carry. I don't think that this is the kind of Michigan offensive line that we saw the last two years. It's a good unit. Definitely a good unit. I don't want to, I don't want to overstate it, but they have actually relied on JJ McCarthy to do a lot of their heavy lifting uh, during this run. You know, he's averaging over 10 yards per pass attempt, 18 touchdowns, three interceptions. He hasn't really made any mistakes to this point. The question is too, of course, he hasn't had to do anything that would cause him to make mistakes. Like, I, so I just struggled to really evaluate him uh, and we'll get a chance to do that this week against Penn State, of course. you know Jim has said this this is probably the best quarterback who's ever played at Michigan. He's going to be an all-time legend, all this sort of stuff. Well, maybe, but he's going to have to do it in these last three games. That's what it comes down to. And not even, he's going to have to do it in these last five games. They They obviously have to go to the national title game if he's going to have a chance to do that. Uh, at this point, I would say that, uh, you know, if you were going to grade J.J. McCarthy, the grade is like, it looks great, but he's getting an incomplete. There, we don't know yet. We don't know anything at this point. Um, and again, so I, I compare him as somebody who has not made a single mistake essentially all year. You know, he had three interceptions versus some bowling group. Other than that, uh, I, I put him in that Carson Beck category. But I think that Carson Beck has had to do just a little bit more and prove himself against slightly better competition. And so that's why I have him at number five.
0: I think that's an interesting argument. And he, they are in my same tier, I would say. Um, looking at him, mm-hmm. I have kind of a fat middle tier here. Um, I didn't quite go as nuanced <laughs> as you did. But, um, and, and my number six falls into that category, too, although he's probably got the biggest asterisk because of an injury, sure. and that's Quinn Ewers at Texas. He's my number six. And if he comes back healthy, that's going to be a bit of an if because, I mean, that was not a good injury to have mm. your AC joint. And, it, it ruined the season last year. Yeah, and it feels like they need him this year because Malik Murphy, he's got talent, he's got raw ability, but he keeps making errors that, especially that K-State game. I mean, he had one interception, but he also had like a couple of K-State players drop his pass, you know? So, I mean, it feels like they're playing with a little bit, Texas is playing with a little bit of fire. They have ta- so much talent there. I mean, they're so physical, but again, they need that, that experienced Person behind the ball and viewers. I know they say he's week to week, and you always worry are they going to rush him maybe too fast? Doesn't heal right, and then we just he has an unfortunate game where uh, a letdown game. But I feel he is a valuable, and I think part of the reason I also ranked him a little bit lower was because Texas has still been managing in the last couple of games without him. Um, That that's part of it. They the the talent around the quarterback position is strong enough that they can stay in games and they can win games. And that's why I didn't necessarily push him any higher than number six. But there's an asterisk on that because if he comes back and is shaky, and I hate, to me, gosh, you go back to 2007 and that Oregon quarterback, oh, his uh, name is Yes, I watched that Arizona game where he got injured. I watched it, and I remember to, uh, to watch a team go in a completely different direction after one play, that was striking because they were on their way. To winning the Pac twelve, the Pac twelve is no Pac ten. Both of those days, they were on their way to winning the Pac ten. I mean, I I was in Austin when USC played them. I watched them beat the Trojans and rush the field and all that excitement. And then to just see that, I was like, oh, what a letdown! What a letdown! And that to me, that was an example of a guy who deserved the Heisman because the moment he was injured, that team fell off the rails. <laughs> I mean, the moment they went from being a national title contender to not being anything, uh, that to me is where the Heisman really should prove your value but queen ewers not quite that level um, which is good for texas and again we hope to see him come back and we hope to see him play at at, at yeah play. so
1: i'm right about in the same boat with you i have Quinn ewers at number seven uh i also kind of combine ewers slash the texas quarterback situation with malik murphy uh in there as well Th- the thing that i have to say about Texas's quarterbacks and about this texas offense in general is that i feel like they're asking their quarterbacks to do too much i i don't understand and this has been a recurring theme under steve sarkeesian at texas where they don't just give the ball to their best players which is their running backs their running backs have been really really good jonathan brooks cj baxter like i was watching that game and i'm like man kansas state better be thrilled every single time that they try to throw it instead of handing the ball to cj baxter i I, he averaged nine yards per carry i don't know why they (laughs) why they didn't do it more and i actually think that um you know so for me and you know there's been a lot of Ewer's conversation on this podcast uh, over the past couple of years. I mean I am so high on his talent and I'm so low on how consistently he's performed. I mean people don't realize in the last 6 games of the year last year he only completed 50% of his passes. And obviously he had issues with that shoulder that uh, that he was trying to get over a little bit. He's been more consistent this year but there were still moments, right? The two interceptions against Oklahoma in a lot of ways cost them the game. Uh, he hasn't been precise in the red zone before the injury as well. I, so I, I don't know. I just, I can't put him, I, I don't want to say close to that top group, but the talent is clearly there. So to me, I have them kind of in that Jill and Milrow group uh, in terms of guys with a lot of potential, but where we're still kind of just waiting to see it all come together.
0: Do we think we're going to see him uh, this week? Because, I mean, TCU is is not last year's TCU. Yeah, think? you need a get-right game. <laughs> I'm, I'm curious to see how Stark handles it. No. Uh, yeah.
1: So what we heard this week was that uh, Steve Sarkisian told reporters that Quinn Ewers has moved from week to week to day to day. So I think that there's a pretty good chance that we get maybe a half of Quinn Ewers uh, this upcoming week. Mm-hmm. And that'll set up a pretty big game like not, not a joke, against Iowa State in two weeks, that has major Big 12 title implications. They're going on the road. It's going to be a night game. It's the last time that they'll ever play Iowa State. And I do think that they need Quinn Ewers to be right against a pretty good Iowa State defense. So um, I think that we'll get a little bit of him this week, uh, but I would not try to leave him out there too long if you're able to put this one away.
0: Yeah, I agree. The last thing you want to do is yes. see it rush too fast um, and move from there. My number seven is Jackson and- Dart. I think the Ole Miss quarterback is doing enough. He's obviously, this year, it seems to be that offense is coming together pretty well. He's got some good talent around him. Quinjon Judkins is, uh, is a great running back who's finally getting in there, and it helps him open up the passing game when you have a decent running back over there. So I, I, I feel he's in that group of not—I wouldn't—I think he's good enough, and he's doing a decent job. He's not quite great, but certainly that old Miss offense is taking advantage of having someone who can do those, throw those kinds of passes. And he has his raw talent, that's for sure. I still remember that hot minute when he was a starter <laughs> at USC. But um so now now we are now I mean, and mean, and Lane Kiffin seems to to like using a good uh, good quarterback. So that's where I put him. Yeah, I, I
1: basically have him next on my list as well. I've met number eight. I do remember actually when he transferred from USC, and people were like, This is the number one transfer quarterback in the country. And I'm like what are you talking about? Like, did you not watch it? Like, he was fine. He's, he's a good player. But like, I, I could not believe the way that he was talked about when he was uh, a transfer. And his first year, I mean, a lot of those concerns that I had about him came to fruition. He has absolutely been a better player this year. There's no doubt about it. He's improving. Uh, He's uh, more of a downfield threat, which is a huge part of it. He's averaging just about 10 yards per attempt, which is something I really wanted to see from him, was just to to not just rely on the short game stuff, but to to be a dynamic player. He's had big games. I mean, this past week, 387 and two touchdowns against Texas A&M in a pretty close win. And, um, and, and that's something that I like to see, right? Since, uh, since the Alabama game, he's completed more than 60% of his passes in all of his games. So I'm, I'm starting to see that consistency come together. I don't think he has the same level of high-end upside as the two guys I have ahead of him, Melrose and Ewers. That's part of why I have him slightly lower on my list. But he's a talented player. He's absolutely not a liability in any way at this point. And I, I'm curious to see him play Against Georgia this upcoming week, because Georgia, obviously, a really good secondary. There's no question about that. Uh, against Alabama, he was all right, but 244 pass yards on 35 attempts, not ideal. I'd like to see them the maybe use him in the run game a little bit to get him on the move. And if he has a good game, I mean, I certainly don't think that Ole Miss is going to beat Georgia, but I do think that if he has a good game, you know, I'll feel really good about where they're at quarterback wise. I'm going to move to number nine on my list, Uh, and this is where I get Mm -hmm. to, right now, my bottom tier. Me
0: too.
1: (laughs) I'm going to go with Drew Aller from Penn State as Ah, my number nine. So I I think that, well, okay, let let me ask this first. So we have 11 quarterbacks on the list. Is Jack Plummer your number 11?
0: Yes. Yeah, absolutely. So, uh,
1: you know, just to touch on him for a second, he has been good enough. He has done what Louisville's needed him to do. Not a whole lot more. Uh, their offense is certainly more of a liability than their defenses. Uh, their defense has been really good, keyed by a number of transfers. I expect this Louisville offense heading forward is going to be in really great shape. They've got a, a talented quarterback, Pier- Pierce Clarkson, who was recruited by Scott Satterfield who ended up sticking around for Jeff Brom. And I think he's going to do great things, but this was a transition year for Louisville and I think the quarterback situation is a reflection of that, um, and, and they've overperformed. So credit to them, man. They've they continued to do it.
0: Yeah, exactly. Brahm's been yeah, great. That's yeah. all I got to say. Um,
1: <laughs> so let's get to this Big Ten conversation. So Drew Aller 9, Kyle McCourt 10.
0: Yeah, because we know exactly. Yeah. It's going to be Drew Aller and Kyle McCourt. So Here we are.
1: <laughs> obviously, well, first, obviously, Kyle McCourt won the head-to-head game against them. Um, I think that everybody walked away from that game saying, oh, one of these teams has Marvin Harrison Jr. and the other one does not. And that's exactly kind of the whole deal at this point. You know, look, both of these players had some nice games. I I think Aller's been a little more consistent as a passer outside of that Ohio State game. You know, we've started to see them uncork it a little bit more with him. You know, he's got a 20 to one touchdown interception ratio, which is fantastic. You know, he's done a good job managing games. I think he has been a very consistent game manager. And in the moments where he struggled, it's been when his offense just can't hang. And I think that the other part of it, too, that you have to point to is you watch some of these clips of him dropping back and his receivers just like aren't getting open like it is it is on him I I do want to be clear Drew Aller is not yet who we think he can be but I I don't know that I can expect a whole lot better from him too as a first-year quarterback with what they're giving him out there the the struggles blocking outside of uh, you know and pass protection I, I just I don't know how much more I can expect I can tell you how much more I can expect from Ohio State's offense and Kyle McCord now He was never in year one going to be C.J. Stroud or Justin Fields. That's just not a fair thing to ask of him. But he has been, I mean, frankly, bad in high leverage situations. He stares down Marvin Harrison Jr., um, you know, who obviously is the best player in the country right now. But like that is a huge advantage and you can't just stare him down when you're trying to get him open. You look outside of Marvin Harrison, they they still have a lot of talented players out there. Carnell Tate was a five-star kid. Uh Julian Fleming has been in and out of the lineup, but still really talented. They should get, I, I believe maybe this week they did get Ameka Agbuka back. And so that obviously can help a little bit. He completed 73% of his passes this week. But they have been they have given him so much, so much help, uh, you know, so much talent on the outside. And and I, I do also want to say, like their offensive line is not ready yet they They still are having issues at tackle, but the troubles that he's had in some of these games, you know the Penn State, whatever, but the the Rutgers mm-hmm. game, the Wisconsin game, the Notre Dame game that they should have lost, even if you want to go look back at uh, the Indiana game early in the year, like like they are they're winning despite him right now. He has been a liability for them to this point and I, I don't want to, like, overstate or overreact, but I think that, I mean, how many quarterbacks are there in the country right now who, if you replace them, if you replace them in Kyle spot, would have the same record, right? It, it's a lot of them. It's it's a lot yeah. of quarterbacks. It's like 40 quarterbacks at this point. And Ohio State is just a place where I think it's fair to expect a little better than that. And, again, there there are no questions other than, being pressured that's certainly something that uh, that is a little new because they lost their bookend tackles last year but it, it's just not good enough in a system that's quarterback friendly with receivers that are elite with the running back situation that you know when Trayvon Henderson is there is really good this has been a defensive team with that that's trying to have an offense that's good enough and when you have Marvin Harrison Jr like come on man that can't happen
0: You know, I think you've hit exactly what I was thinking there, because when I was comparing those two, and it's funny, we both ranked the identical (laughs) bottom three that that I thought was amazing. But I think with Drew Aller, I just see more upside to his ability. I think with this coming into this year, I mean, last year, I remember with Sean Clifford, there was a question with Drew Aller end up becoming the starter and they ended up just sticking with Clifford. But I I think this was the year where everyone expected a lot out of Drew Aller and, and being his first year as a starter just was not white coming together, but there is that upside. He certainly has the talent. And I think generally just, you know, against that Ohio state defense, he also just had a bad day. He had a mentally off day, which happens. I mean, they're young people. I mean, I still, I mean, if we want to talk about it, not to belabor it, but I still remember Caleb Williams leaving the field against Washington and jumping into the, the stands to hug his mom. And I mean, you know, while he was sobbing, I mean, that's, these guys are young. They're passionate. They're still full of emotions. They're not quite pros yet. And I think with Aller, I see that ability and I'm giving him the benefit of the doubt. And maybe I've just drank a little bit of a Kool-Aid hearing from Penn State fans of how he was going to be the next big thing. Um, but with McCord, it's just been I think exactly. He's been more a little bit more of a liability than than quite filling the role. And maybe that's where it gets into an interesting question between him and Plummer. With Plummer, it's just like he's just not messing it up like let him get I, I wouldn't run the ball, part. you know, <laughs> handing <laughs> yeah, but I mean, you know, but at the same time, I think you're right. I think with Marvin Harrison, it's hard to and with just, you know, the, the talent across the board he has to toss to. He's taking more advantage of that. And that that's that's a, I think one we can both agree with compared to like our car- debate over Carson Beck. I think we're, we're there. It's like it's just you know, I, I think it's more of he's relying around the talent around him. And you think he's stepping up as a quarterback. I think both of us agree with Kyle McCord, at least at this point. It seems like it really what success he's getting is from the fact that he's throwing to some of these people that are on the other side. I think that's a good list. I think, you know, this, <laughs> I don't want to take too much time, but it's fascinating to see how we both broke this down. So for me, I put Bo Nicks, Michael Penix, you know, I, I was Jalen Milrow, <laughs> Jordan Travis, J.J. McCarthy, Quinn Ewers, Jackson Dart, Carson Beck, and then, you know, Drew Aller, Kyle McCord, and Plummer. And yours? Yeah.
1: Let's go over yours. Tell us yours. Michael panics at number one. Jordan Travis two. Bo Nix, Carson Beck, Jalen McCarthy, uh, JJ McCarthy, rather uh, round out my top five. Then Jalen Melrose, Quinn Ewers, Jackson Dart, Drew Aller, Kyle McCord, and rounding it out with Jack Plummer. I do want to ask real quick, because usually we do prepare uh, just, you know, for whatever could happen. Where would you have had Dylan
0: Gabriel on this list? You know, that's a great question. I'm not sure. I would have probably put him in the middle tier, but towards the bottom at this point, only because he's doing fine. Um, I don't think he's terrible. I don't think he's quite... I mean, all these quarterbacks are solid. I don't want to say, <laughs> like, he's not as bad as blah, blah, blah. I mean, that would be extreme. But I, I I, am not quite as high on him as some of those out there, especially after the two losses that they, the team suffered. I mean, to be fair, they put a little bit too much on his shoulders, I thought. I mean, especially with Kansas. Now, if he'd gone through and led the Sooners to the victory at the end. That would have been that might have changed my mind a little bit. But I think he's good, but he's not quite the greatness where you're expecting it. Oh, here he goes. He's watching lead the team uh to the to a victory on his own. He had that opportunity and it, unfortunately he fell. Yeah, short I
1: would have there. probably had him uh between Quinn Ewers and Jackson Dart and the, I think the really interesting one, though, too, is Brady Cook. Because Brady Cook from Missouri, obviously having, I think, a tremendous year. Uh, he he was disrespected, man, coming into the years. He was so disrespected. Uh, I probably would have him right this moment between Jalen Milrow and Quinn Ewers. I think that he's been that good this year. But unfortunately... Those two teams no longer exist to us. The Big Eight is dead. We don't care about it anymore. And uh, yeah, so those are our lists. Absolutely.
0: Now, and, and just one last one last shout out. Michael Pratt, you're the reason why, one of the big reasons why Tulane yes. is is now yes. the leading G5 candidate after that loss by Air Force. And Kazen Salter at Liberty, we wish we could talk about you, but that that record, probably that, uh, that schedule yeah, is pretty like bad. It's like Michigan um, level,
1: it's crazy. Yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah, so, you know, we'll, Let's go ahead and next we'll go ahead and wrap this up on the College Football Survivor Show. The College Football Survivor Show, where playoff survival is always on the line. So as we get ready to wrap this up, sometimes we like to ask each other questions uh, slightly off topic, somewhat related to college football. It doesn't always have to be. But last time you asked me a question and, Shahan, it's my turn to ask you. What would you say is your favorite college football fight song? Yeah,
1: it's a great question. So it is a difficult question. So so the one that I've probably heard the most, and I mean this in the most literal sense of the word, growing up down here is Boomer Sooner because they play it 87 times a game. Uh, It is not my favorite on the list. (laughs) Not whatsoever. I actually, and I'm not just saying this, I'm not just saying this, I really like USC's fight song.
0: I think that it's a really, really good one. Oh my goodness. You, oh, and I love it because you must know what our actual fight song is. Because a lot of people will go like, you know, this is the only song we know. And I'm like, that's not the fight song. That's what they, they purposely play that one rhythm over and over and over again. It sounds annoying to everyone but us, but we kind of like it. It's our, (laughs) this, this. Hollywood Roman song. The funny thing is, one of our songs, "Conquest," was actually written for um, a Hollywood movie, um, and uh, it won an Oscar. And then the guy actually wrote a permission <laughs> for USC to use it. And that's "Conquest." But yeah, "Fight yeah. On," which is a song yes. you're probably talking about, yeah, it's a catchy one. It's a it's a good one. I I, uh, I obviously I have a soft <laughs> spot for it as someone who went to USC for their undergraduate. Uh, you know, I, I have a soft spot for the Minnesota Rouser too, but you know, grad school's not quite the same. <laughs> But uh, by the way, I just have to say, there was—I remember when this person tracked this on on Reddit and on Twitter back in 2016. There was an Oklahoma band <laughs> member who actually did track how many times they played Boomer Sumer in the season, including rehearsals, 924 <laughs> seems times. Low. Seems that's, low. That's, that's a level of of insanity. I don't know how many bands did that. And hey, for any of you band members out there, college band members or just. Passionate fans who go to every home game or maybe every game if possible. Track how many, if there is a song like that for your team, Take the time to do that. People will be curious. You will get traction on social media because some of these are absolutely <laughs> fascinating. Like I'd love to know how often oh, Tennessee so plays much. Rocky Top. They're the, I mean, uh, who would uh, want to know that?
1: They're the, yeah. the SEC East version of Boomer Sooner, man. It, I, uh, I remember back in 2016, I worked for a site called SEC Country. This was my first time like really, really getting into the weeds of watching and covering the SEC. And I could not believe during Tennessee games how much they played that damn song. It is so much. And then on top of it, to make it worse, right, especially when you're watching it on TV, uh, all their commercials for the University of Tennessee also have Rocky Top in
0: it. And so it's just over
1: and over again. It's an assault on the senses.
0: <laughs> yeah, and it's funny because I was thinking about my own, and I I have a weak spot for some of the classics, like Hail to the sure, Victors sure. from Michigan and, and the Notre Dame Victory March. But my favorite, only because it is one of the funniest fight songs out there is the rambling yes, record yes, from Georgia Tech, one. because those lyrics are peerless for a fight song. You know, uh, you know, any any song that talks about being a hell of an engineer and then repeating it relentlessly, you know, hell of a hell of a, a hell of, a, a, hell of a, a hell of an engineer. And then, you know, tr- talking about drinking whiskey clear, making rum with a giant bell. I mean, that is the fight song you listen to when you want a party. That is absolutely I mean, rambling, gambling, hell of an engineer. It is a college experience, I guess, <laughs> distilled. I mean, we're talking about whiskey, right? Distilled into a delightful song. And uh, that is probably that is probably my favorite part I, of Georgia Tech traditions say. right there. That song is delight. I recommend all of you listen to it. I don't want to <laughs> sing it too carefully because I'm also... I'm always wary of copyright. Um, so, <laughs> as a lawyer, so I don't, I was actually in my mind, I'm like, do I sing it? No, I don't sing it. And you all probably don't want to hear me sing. I mean, it's one thing to go hear Bono sing, and it's one thing to hear me sing. So, and, you know, no thanks. I, I will say, um,
1: uh, but uh, my high school used the Notre Dame fight song as their fight song. And my wife's high school in California used the Oregon fight song as their fight song. So, you know, some pretty good ones.
0: You know, for those of you out there, if you get a chance there, look up the clip from the Disney Robin Hood film, where at one point they're like, I can't remember, they're doing something to to punk the sheriff of Nottingham. But the thing is, they play this medley of music, and at one point they start, looks like they're playing football, and they do a medley of the USC fight song the Wisco- oh, on wow. Wisconsin. They kind of, the song blurs blur- one to, one one way, to on another. Wisconsin. So it's in a Disney movie wow. that they did this and you can find it on YouTube and things. So so look that up. But if you are really into college football fight songs, it's a funny one to hear and, and spot that on. And also on Wisconsin also ended up in a a from uh, be- uh, Beach, Beach Boys song as well about being you know representing your colors or representing your school. I think that's what they they said. Representing your colors that, that might be more of a death row record. But anyway, the um <laughs> <laughs> you know i think i think we've been on long enough i'm afraid we're getting into the wacky zone here so i'm gonna slowly start wrapping this up here um but before i do wait wait Chehan, did, what you are your your did, you, did you give your thoughts as we had into this pick? weekend yeah, yeah, yeah we're Georgia Georgia
1: okay. yes there you go there you go
0: yeah absolutely man i'm i'm I, I will go to the you know and and to some lesser extent there's some other good ones but i don't want to go too obscure and like d3 like the the the, the Saint Olies, probably the Olafs of Saint Olaf have a really wacky one where it's like um mm, yeah yeah um <laughs> mm, yeah yeah. It's it's not even really lyrics to it. Uh, they just kind of sound like there's they're no way that Minnesota is real, song, man.
1: I, I, everything that I hear about Minnesota is
0: crazy. Yeah, when you have when you have schools that are all Lutheran schools, but they're historically separate because one was the Danish <laughs> Lutherans, one was the Swedish Lutherans, and one was the Norwegian. So we literally have a D three school, Gustavus Adolphus, that's named after a Swedish king. Um, so. Uh, and then the Norwegian president or whatever prime minister was in the in the, in the state. And so he had to go visit St. Olaf because they're the Norwegian, <laughs> uh, you know, Lutherans. They're they're talking to their base, you know. Um, <laughs> yeah, it, it's interesting up here, especially if you're if you're from anywhere, you know, like I, I came from California and then move up here. And it's like, wow, people really get into the, the nuances of some of these <laughs> European backgrounds. I'm going to tell you that it's fascinating stuff. But uh, (laughs) but heading into this weekend though, give us what's your thought? Uh, And actually, then you know, pardon me, we're gonna have another show. I just remember that because Wednesday. I'm actually curious. What do you think? Any thoughts on where we think the playoff rankings are gonna move? Do we expect any big surprises? No, I
1: I think that most of the top four is gonna remain unchanged. Right? Obviously, Georgia, I think, has a. Good case now for number one, but I think that Ohio State still has just a slightly better resume. We'll see if if uh, Ohio State is punished for where Notre Dame is, is kind of sitting right now. But I do think that it'll still be Ohio State at one. I do think it'll still be Georgia at two. um But you know, I've I've been surprised before, so we'll, we'll kind of also have to wait and see. I'm curious if there's a moment where Oregon. Finally makes the jump up ahead of Washington. I don't know if it'll happen this week, but it's certainly something I'm going to be watching.
0: Yeah, I'd expect that more next week if we see how they play yes. against USC. I'm also curious to see um, if we do see a three-loss team pop in there. It's Arizona, Only man, it's coming. Man. It's Arizona. Coming. We, I talked to them last week, but now they've won three ranked games in a row. The AP has put them in their <laughs> poll. I could see them climbing up there. And potentially, you know, especially it's a great way to legitimize wins for several of these teams. Um, so I think I think they're interesting. They're they're my, they're an interesting program to watch, especially in the second half of the season as they figured out their quarterback and they're just doing they're doing a number on some of these opponents who are being surprised when they play the Wildcats for sure. Well, I think that's a good spot to kind of wrap this up. I just wanted to thank all of you for listening. We both enjoy it. we both enjoy the fact that you vote in our Twitter polls and react to us there. But I also wanted to say if you get a chance, be sure to like, rate, and subscribe us wherever you get your podcast. But again, on Twitter or X or however you want to call it, you can find us at cfbsurvivorshow.com. survivorshow.com. I'm Bobek Hayeri. He's Shayhanjay Araja. You can find some of his writing over on cbssports.com this is a college football survivor show we'll talk to you in a couple of days the college football survivor show where playoff survival is always on the line